Well, good morning. Um, just want to start by saying great job to, to the band and to all the speakers this morning. Um, I think we should give them a round of applause. They've done very, very well. Um, the great thing about this is I didn't have to twist anybody's arm to do uh, what they did here today. There was lots of people who were genuinely keen to do this. Uh, a few nerves, but I think they did a really great job. Um, look, I just want to join in with the youth and, and just say uh, welcome today and a, and a happy Father's Day to, to all the dads out here. Uh, we are just so very grateful for you. Uh, literally, none of us would be here without you. Um, I do also really want to quickly acknowledge um, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law who are here today visiting. Uh, Toowoomba, it's great to have you guys here. Uh, so good to have you. Thanks, guys. Oh, great work, Ryder. Um, I do also really want to quickly acknowledge um, that there will be some people here today who, uh, for you today, Father's Day is, is a difficult day. Um, either due to the, the recent loss of a father or, or the log long-felt absence of one. I understand uh, that today, uh, or days like today, can elicit a really wide range of emotions. Um, I just want to say, if, if, that's, if today's a difficult day for you, I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, and my prayer is that, that um, yeah, God would give you his peace uh, and his comfort today. Look, today is, uh, is week two in our, our series on identity. Or as a church, we're, we're going to seek to, to figure out um, who it is that, that the Bible says that we are. Last week, Jen, uh, who I shall call mum, introduced the series and, and did a really great job of, of introducing um, the problem that, that our society is, is facing. And it's a problem uh, that has been labelled by experts as a collective identity crisis. Jen introduced the, the idea uh, that ours is an age of identity angst. And I think this is quite true. I think we've seen this, uh, especially people of around, around my um, generation are just so eager to, to find or forge an identity for themselves. And in our hyper-individualistic culture, we've been told that the, the only way to find ourselves is to look within. We're told that, that nobody else can tell us who we are that the only way um, to find who we are is, is for us to decide. And the only way to, to achieve contentment is to express who it is that we found ourselves to be. And this is the, the answer that our society gives to the problem. The only issue with this is that to, to look inside is to find only more of the problem. Jen said last week that, that our internal image has often uh, been skewed and warped by the opinions of others, and indeed the, the sin that resides within us. Looking inside only works to amplify the problem of angst. And when it comes to our faith and our, and our relationship uh, with God, the problem increases. We, we feel like we, we might not measure up. For many of us, we allow guilt and shame to define us. And as we let these things define our identity, our, our footing before a, an almighty holy God feels a little bit shaky. A few uh, weeks back, I was setting up for homework help on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, and one of the youth um, was, was helping me. 
she'd been uh, baptized pretty recently, so I just thought I'd, I'd ask the question, um, how's everything been going since, uh, since you were baptized? Um, she said, yeah, look, it's been, it's been really good. But as we kind of chatted, um, she said this. She said that she, ha- she feels like she hasn't been doing enough of the things that Christians should do. And she's just struggling a little bit to feel like she's good enough for God. And as we, as we chatted more, it came out that she felt like almost that God would be a little bit disappointed in her. And I think this is, a, this is a pretty common feeling amongst Christians. This feeling that we're not quite measuring up to who God wants us to be. We know in our head that we've been saved by grace. We enter into Christianity only through uh, the blood of Christ. The Bible says it is by grace that we have been saved. However, we, we feel sometimes deep down that, that maybe still we're not quite enough. There is a, a disconnect between what we know in our heads and what we're experiencing in our hearts. There is this, this blockage, what I call a, a spiritual constipation, that, that prevents what we know up here from, from moving down to our hearts. And it leads us to feel that, that yes, God let me into this thing by faith, by, by his grace. But now I need to show him that I'm worth it. Now I need to, to earn my keep. We, we make our faith into this transactional thing. And many of us wouldn't, wouldn't say it like that. But we feel that, that God will keep us around if only we can prove that we're still worth having around. So it leads to this feeling of unsteadiness, of uncertainty, and this, this question hangs over us. How does God really feel about us? How does God really feel about us? Last week, Jen said that the only way to, to overcome this uh, warped sense of identity is to not look deeper within ourselves, not to, to define and redefine ourselves over and over and over again, but it is to understand who God says that we are, to actually allow our God, our maker, to define our identity for us. So my hope today is that we would find the most wonderful answer to that question. As we look at what it means to be a child of God. As we do, we're going we're gonna to open up God's word to, to Romans 8, um, chapter, oh, Romans chapter 8, sorry, verses 14 to 17. Uh, and in doing so, I hope that we will see three things. The first is what it means to be a child of God. The second, what we are adopted out of. And the third, what we are adopted into. Romans 8 Um, 14 to 17 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we too may be glorified with him. I'll just put it um, out early on that that Romans 8 is my favorite chapter um, of the Bible. And so whenever I get a chance to talk about Romans 8, I will, um, because it is just so very good. Um, Up until this point in the the book of Romans, uh, Paul has been laying out uh, what what the gospel of Christ is and the implications uh, for us. He's already given some some wonderful theological assurances, um, some objective truths that help to redefine our identity before God. And the the two key ones that have come up uh, up until this point in in the book have been that we are justified and that we are given new life. Firstly, in in chapter 3, Paul lays out uh, that we are justified, declared righteous. Uh, Paul here is is appealing to uh, a legal metaphor. That for all who would believe, through Christ's death on the cross, the list of our sins that stand between us and God, that that indict us, that that condemn us, Those lists have been attributed to him. As he was nailed to the cross, our list was nailed to the cross with him. So Paul says there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are declared righteous and legally justified. The second identity marker that he lays out is in chapter 6, when he says that to have Christ is to be made new. He says that the the old life has passed away with all of its guilt and all of its shame and the new life has come. Through the death and the resurrection of life, of Christ, sorry, we have been given a newness of life. And he's, he's laid out these two objective realities and he has grounded them in one moment in history. So that if we are ever wrestling with doubt, we can come back to that moment and find our assurance that in the the death of Christ, we have been justified. We have been declared righteous, free from condemnation. And in the resurrection of Christ, we have been given an assurance of new life. These are the, the, the two great truths that should help define our identity. They, they appeal to our reason and to our, to our heads. But then as we come to, to Romans 8, there's this, this shift. Paul is deliberately aiming not, not so much at our heads anymore, but more so to our hearts. Romans 8 is, is the spiritual fiber, the, the roughage, if you will, that will help clear the blockage that exists between our heads and our hearts. He says, not only have you been justified, not only have you been given new life, but you... O man, you, O woman, have been adopted as a child of God. So what does it mean to be a child of God? Romans 8, 14 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This one, um, this one little sentence gives us two facts about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Last week, I was scrolling through the the news app on my phone, um, and one article kind of caught my attention. And the 
title of the, the article read this, Aussie Surfers Miraculously Saved. I, I didn't really read too much, but I think there was um, some Aussie surfers um, who were just off the, the coast of, of Bali um, who, who got into some trouble and they were, they were brought to safety. But it's really the, the title that caught my attention. Aussie Surfers Miraculously Saved. I couldn't help but wonder whether this is what we realize happens when we come to faith. Or have we taken the, the miraculous element out of it? Because the Bible says that becoming a Christian is, is not so much uh, ascribing to a, a system of beliefs or even a moral code. But to, to be a Christian is to be led by the Spirit of God. Therefore, the, the moment of conversion is not solely the product of being uh, convinced in our heads. But it is God himself coming to reside within us, coming to dwell in us. To be a Christian means to be miraculously saved and to be led by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Secondly, Paul says to be a Christian is to be a son of God. Now, Paul here, he's not speaking only to men. He's not excluding women from this, uh, this call. No, what he's saying is, is actually revolutionary, and it was revolutionary for women of those days. He's speaking here when he talks about being a son of God, not about the gender of the child, but he is speaking about the role and the status of being a son, the role and the status of being a son. In those days, uh, sons were given the, the position of honor in the family, the position of, of favor in the household. They were the ones to keep the family name going. And this is something that we struggle uh, to grasp in our individualistic culture. But the son was the one to keep the family name in good stead, the one to, to keep the family business. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a physio, you were a physio, the Davids. If, you, if your dad was a, was a worship leader, you were a worship leader, Wormsleys. <laughs> if your dad was a preacher. Um, so maybe that hasn't changed too much in our day, but, but way, way more in that day. If you were the son, you were the one to bear the family lineage, to, to bear the family honor. Your, your family genealogy was so important to you. And the son, especially the, the eldest or the, the favored son, was to be the recipient of the father's inheritance. In that day, to, to be a son, your, your whole identity your, your whole identity, your, your social standing, your career, your wealth, your status, your honor, these things were entirely wrapped up in who your father was. And this is the radicalness of what Paul is saying in this, in this chapter. He's saying that this position, this, this status of sonship, 
is available for anyone who would put their faith in him, regardless of, of race, of gender, of social standing. This was absolutely revolutionary for the day, that, that we would be defined by none of the other aspects of our lives, but we would be defined by the one who is our heavenly father. It's, a, it's an all-encompassing promise. We are not defined by anything that we have done, but by who he is and the fact that he has called us his sons. How, how small do the, do the alternative sources of identity become when, when we realize this? Our culture, we often put our identity in our career, in our, our relationship status, in our achievements, how, how small are those things compared to, to being a child of, of the God Almighty? How foolish would we be to seek to find our identity in anything else? Especially when we realize in point two what it is that we have been adopted out of. Verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We'll focus on that first bit. It says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is what we have been saved from. The Bible um, presents that, that contrary to what we might think, we were actually never our own masters. We are not our own. Presents that apart from, from Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were, we were subject to obey its, its whim and its command. And thinking our, ourselves to be the master, we, we kept on sinning. Thinking that it was proving our, our agency against God. When actually it was the very shackles that were tying around our, our wrists and our legs. And this is something that the, the answers of our society uh, do not account for at all. They, they don't appreciate for a moment that looking within is not going to solve this problem. The problem is that, that we are helpless and in need of a savior. The Bible presents that by having faith in Christ, by, by the power of of the Holy Spirit, we are set free from that slavery. We've been set free from the, the power of sin and death. Looking within is not going to do that. Imagine with me um, that there's, there's a child who has been, who's been put in prison. Um, they've been spending 20 hours a day chained up in their, their cell. And the other four hours a day doing hard manual labor in the prison grounds. One day, this child is rescued. This child is, is set free. Not only that, but the, the rescuer has brought this child back and, and adopted them. Said, you are no longer a slave, you are, you are my son. But the next morning, the man who, who rescued the boy wakes up to find that the boy has run off. He has run back to his cell, 
And when the man comes back, he finds him sitting in the corner of the cell, desperately trying to reattach the shackles. The Bible says that, that this is like the Christian, who being set free from the bondage and the slavery of sin, being adopted as a child of God, keeps running back and trying to reattach the, the shackles of, of sin and shame and guilt. It's, it's madness. Because we have not received a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption by whom we have the power to put to death our sin. We've been set free. So the Bible says, don't go back to that state. Don't run back to that cell. You have been declared free. Let's imagine the, the next morning, the father having uh, convinced the son to, to come back home with him. The father wakes up really early and finds the son in the backyard. The son has, has found the, the dog's chain and, and used it to tie around his ankles. And he's been in the yard chopping wood since the break of dawn. Big bags of, of soil and sand on his shoulders marching back and forward in the yard. The father is confused and so runs out and he asks the son, what, what are you doing? What are, you, what are you doing? Son replies, I'm earning my keep. I need to earn my keep. How heartbreaking for that father. It's almost like being spat in the face. He did not rescue the son to bring him home to be a slave, but, but to love him and to care for him and to protect him as his beloved child. And I think we do this to God. Being saved by grace, we think then we need to earn his affection, to earn our keep. We, we need to be good enough for fear that he might get rid of us. No. Not when we realize, finally at point three, what it is that we have been adopted into. Verse 15 says this, you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall uh, back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what we've been saved into. This is the, the scandal of our faith. The, the same God that we read about in Habakkuk. This, this God of, of power and might. This God who deserves our, our reverence and our awe. This, this thundering God of justice stooped down and invites us to call him our dad. Call him that the same greeting that, that an, a small Jewish child would call their father. Would this, would this never grow old? Would we continue to be amazed and confounded? And would we, we 
praise him for this, that we would get to call him our dad. In my life, um, I think I've had probably two professional jobs since coming out of uni. I had a few jobs in uni and school, um, but the first job I worked at the, the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital as a physio uh, for a few years. Uh, and if you'll allow me, I'll call this my second professional job. Um, the Royal Brisbane is, is one of the biggest physio departments uh, in Australia. It had um, between 90 to 100 uh, staff. It was a huge team. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that I found um, a bit daunting at times uh, was interacting with my big boss. Um, especially when, I, when I'd first started. Um, he, it's not that he wasn't a nice guy, it's just um, he was a busy man and it was quite daunting being a, a little new grad coming up to him. I just felt that the, the best thing that I could do was, was keep my head down. I, I didn't really want to be called to his office because I, I thought that that would only bring bad news. So in the, in the three and a half years that I was there, I probably entered his office two or three times max. Uh, and the times that I was there chatting with him, my interactions, I, I was a bit conscious of myself. I was a bit aware, aware uh, not to make a fool of myself. And, and I, was, I was a bit more guarded. I was a bit more guarded around him. At my um, farewell morning tea, uh, he got up and he, he said uh, some really lovely stuff um, about me. But in the back of my mind, I couldn't help but but wonder, does he, does he mean any of that? <laughs> Before today, did he actually know what I'd been doing for the last few years? It just kind of felt a bit impersonal. Then in my second job, my relationship with the boss uh, looks a little bit different. By the, the Tuesday of my second week, I rolled into work and I noticed that my boss's desk was free. Dad's desk was free. Um, so rather than walking up the, the stairs to my office, which is like 10 stairs, it was too much work, I decided that, that I would make myself at home at Dad's office. So I, I set up my laptop and I started doing some, some work. Um, and I looked over and I noticed that there was a block of chocolate sitting there. So, of course, I helped myself to the block of chocolate. Um, after about half an hour of, of eating chocolate and, and doing work, um, my boss came in. And at that moment, I made no attempt to clear out. I, I was not guarded. I was not aware of myself. Why? Because in that moment, I knew that my identity was not primarily as his new employee. Now, my identity was as his son. So there was a confidence, there was, there was a warmth, there was a, a mutual affection, and there was a certainty of his love because he was not primarily my boss. He was my dad. crazy thing about our faith is that God has invited us to relate to him like that. With, with, with the confidence of, of a child coming to talk with their dad. And yet far too often we come to him and we approach him like the first boss. 
We come guarded, we come aware of ourselves, and we come unsure. Yet by his word and by his spirit today, he is calling us, he's assuring us that we are his children. And he is inviting us to come to him and call him Abba, Father, Dad. Would we, would we never get over that? Would we not get past this, that the God of the universe would, would invite us to call him Dad? Roscoe um, was talking to the youth on Friday night and he, he said this, that when it, when it comes to the idea of, of God being our Father, for, for some people who have not had the, the greatest experience of an earthly father, this, this idea, it can trip them up. It can be a bit of a stumbling block to relating to God. He said that even for, for those of us who have had great dads, he is sure that God is not like our fathers. But our fathers should have been more like God. And for some of us who have been lucky enough to, to glimpse the incredible love and the patience and the care of our heavenly father reflected through our earthly dads, the promise is the same for each of us. That one day through Christ, we will experience the fullness of our heavenly father's love for ourselves. Verse 17 says this, and if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we too may be glorified with him. Our experience of, of this divine sonship uh, in this life may be fleeting. There may be times where it's, it's deeply felt and experienced, and others where it is not. Indeed, we are told that there are times Whereas Christians, we must, we must suffer with Christ. But God has promised that there is an inheritance coming. A moment at the end of this life where we will experience fully what it means to be known and to be loved as a child of God. When in that moment, he welcomes us home and he sweeps us up in his arms, never again to let us go. This is what we've been adopted into. This is the, the hope and the joy that we get to experience as the children of God. So let us run to him with certainty. Let us praise him for his grace. Let's put to death the, the sin that used to bind us and define us and instead seek to honor him in the way that we live our lives. And let's never for a moment get over what it means to be called his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. Um, Lord, we, we thank you for the, the opportunity to, to honour and to celebrate our dads. Lord, um, honour and celebrate those who have uh, given up so much for us um, that we might be here. God, I know that uh, for, for some people, Lord, um, today is a hard one. There's lots of um, feelings of, of disappointment, 
of, of sadness, of missing out. But God, right now, I just pray for those people, Lord, that you would draw them so close. Lord, that at this time they would know that they are seen and they are heard and they are loved. Lord, and, and you, you are their dad. You have given us the opportunity to call you our Heavenly Father. God, would that, would that surprise us, would that confound us, and would that excite us more and more? Lord, we thank you for, for the youth and how they have led this service. We thank you for all the, the people who have uh, put in so much work behind the scenes. And we, Lord, we, we just pray this week that we would go out um, and we would be your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.